When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good, warm, sunny Wednesday morning. It's been a long time since I've been able to say that as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got Bernie taking your calls at 0818103103. And what a beautiful day it is. If you're going out and heading out into the garden or planning to head out into the garden, you might have a question for Peter Dowdle. It is Wednesday, so Peter will join us later on on the show. But you can get your questions in throughout the morning, either by calling Bernie or text or WhatsApp me to 0862103103. And let's start the programme by saying congratulations to Gorod Lynch in Mallow, who was our winner yesterday afternoon. It was just as I came off air following the news at one that Nick played our four songs for our four play for 4K. The phone lines lit up like a Christmas tree, can I say, can I tell you? And the 103rd caller was Gorod Lynch from Mallow, who is now €4,000 better off. Congratulations to you, Gorod. And of course, we had our first four play for 4K winner a number of weeks ago, and that was Aoife Grace from Inna Shannon. So two lucky listeners, €4,000 better off. And uh, thanks to the gang at uh, McCroom Motors. But congratulations to Gorod, our latest winner on the four play for for for, uh, 4K. Now already some uh, texts and uh, WhatsApps coming in to do with uh, COVID. We're back again. God, didn't we think COVID was well behind us, particularly when we were having our remembrance ceremonies that that took place last weekend and Friday of course we had our extra bank holiday which was a day to be a day of reflection on those whose lives were lost because of Covid but it was also a day to give thanks to the frontline workers who had all worked so hard particularly during the very early stages of uh, Covid-19 and God when you look at the way the figures are coming out now following the extended St Patrick's Day weekend if anything we've just put additional work onto some of the frontline workers there must be nurses and doctors all over the country are cursing the fact that there was an extra day give 
given to everyone to go out and to celebrate and to, uh, to party because because of it we are seeing a huge huge rise in numbers and Anna in McCroom has been on to us this morning to say Patricia we really must go back to wearing masks everyone in our family of five have now all in the last 48 hours tested positive for COVID-19 and it's the second time it's come into the household really fed up of this and we all now have to isolate for the next seven days and I think that's the big thing at the moment certainly that I'm hearing from I know a number of people now who have tested positive and the majority of them for the first time they hadn't picked up at COVID before none of them really sick one or two had felt a little bit unwell in the early days but most of them are uh, fine but the downside to it is they're stuck indoors and they're stuck self-isolating for seven days and that's not sitting well with everybody and it's just how it is restricting uh, people and yesterday the cases went they were almost at 24,000 cases yesterday 23,702 people tested positive for uh, COVID and the breakdown of them was 7,792 were PCR because there's only a limited number of people now are entitled to go to go forward for a PCR test so the majority of them nearly 16,000 people had a positive antigen test that got registered for the 24 hours up to uh, yesterday but the knock-on effect that we're now seeing we're back to huge numbers waiting on trolleys in our hospitals and all of our hospitals have been affected because they're getting COVID outbreaks within the hospital that's limiting the number of beds they can have open and therefore people who need to have a bed need to be in hospital are stuck on trolleys I mean I think my heart goes out to the 660 people stuck on a trolley at the moment and there has been calls including calls from the nursing unions for the reintroduction of some of the COVID-19 restrictions. I don't think anybody is saying we should be going back to lockdowns or anything like that but the nurses unions are saying look we're seeing the effect. It might necessarily be all COVID patients are coming into hospital but there is a knock-on effect in the hospitals and the World Health Organisation they have said that Ireland lifted the pandemic restrictions the word they used was too brutally and it's now experiencing a wave of this more transmissible, it's this Omicron BA2 variant and it is more transmissible than the previous Omicron and certainly much more transmissible than the Delta variant. Um, The World Health Organization yesterday said that the BA2 uh, variant is 30 times more transmissible than what was the dominant Omicron variant and when the Omicron variant came out over Delta that was 70% more transmissible than Delta. So now we've got another Omicron, this BA2, which is even 30 times more transmissible than the original one. Now, the difference in transmissibility is much smaller than it had been between Omicron and Delta. But there is kind of a little bit of good news in it that the variant is not more dangerous than the original Omicron. So we'll we'll take comfort from that. And that's probably explaining why so many people who are getting diagnosed with it are saying that, you know, little or no symptoms. And I'm even hearing of people, you know, if somebody tests positive in the in the house and everybody in the house tests and people are testing positive with absolutely zero symptoms, but they're being responsible. And once they've tested positive, they are remaining indoors. Now, we're not, it's not just here in Ireland. COVID cases are on the rise right across uh, Europe. And the World Health Organization are pointing to the fact that the countries where the COVID cases are on the rise are the countries that lifted the restrictions 
brutally from too much to too few and obviously we here in Ireland are included uh, in that and then looking at the numbers of patients in hospital with COVID-19 1,338 up to uh, yesterday that was an increase on 30 from the previous day ICU numbers while they have been stable but they they are again climbing back up again there was a jump of 12 in the last 24 hours bringing it to 61 now in ICU so the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation they're sounding the alarm on, they're calling it a national emergency because they're saying we've hospital overcrowding now has reached an all-time pandemic high with the 660 patients without a bed. And that was a 15% increase on the previous 24 hours. I mean, Phil Hay, who's the General Secretary of the INMO, I mean, I saw her being interviewed on TV last night and when she was doing the interview, she had a mask on her. And that was just doing an interview. That's how strongly she feels about the wearing of masks. And she has called for the reintroduction of mask wearing because she said if we go back to wearing masks, particularly on things like public transport and in retail settings, she said it will ease transmission numbers. And of course, by easing transmission numbers, it'll stop putting some of the pressure that is already there on hospital staff. I mean, she spoke about nurses and midwives who are burnt out. She said they're exhausted and she said we can't expect them to keep providing safe care in environments that are overcrowded while dealing with while dealing with what is a highly transmissible airborne uh, virus. But the Thornish City of Radker was asked yesterday about this and he was saying, you know, asked, is there any talk of bringing back in any kind of restrictions and the main restriction being the introduction of mandatory face masks. And he said, no, at this time uh, there there isn't. And he also believes that there will be a fall off in the rise in infections in, in the next couple of weeks. So we have to get through the next couple of weeks and then because we're looking at what hap- what's happened in other countries who are ahead of us with this new variant of Omicron. And he's saying, look, what's happened in other countries, we'll ride it out for another few weeks. I heard Professor Luke O'Neill say the start of April, which is end of next week, we should start to see the numbers fall back. Now, the Taunashta made the point that there is no public health advice being given for them to reintroduce masks or to reimpose any kind of restrictions. So the government won't move until public health advice says this is what we should do. So because they're not saying anything at the moment, he's saying, look, we're not going to do anything about it. He said what is somewhat reassuring, though, is that half of the people who are in hospital with COVID and half of those that are in ICU with COVID would be in there anyway. They're in for different conditions, different uh, ailments. Uh, So they're not in there because they have COVID-19. They just happen to also have uh, COVID-19. But another problem and I was trying to get accurate figures on this yesterday and I spotted uh, somebody quoting it in the paper this morning. This is to do with the number of active outbreaks in nursing homes and according to the HSC they reckon there's about 300 outbreaks in uh, nursing homes and I know Sage Advocacy they you know they're the group that support and uh, advocate on behalf of services for vulnerable people uh, in Ireland particularly older people in nursing homes they're saying that the anxiety is high about this second wave of Omicron particularly amongst nursing home residents and their loved ones and obviously if there's an outbreak in a nursing home it means restrictions are put in place and those, you know, restrictions can have, you know, a really, really damaging effect on 
nursing home residents who've put up with for so long not being able to see loved ones and they were just getting back into the swing of loved ones being able to call again and being able to have more visits and then bang suddenly there's an outbreak in the nursing home and they're back to square one with are we back to window visits again I take it in some uh, nursing homes so it's that is a concern and that is a worry and that's the reason why you know the nursing the nursing organisations are saying it as well if we went back to wearing masks I'd put my hand up and say I haven't stopped wearing the mask I haven't got into a shop yet without a mask on but I am noticing more and more shops that I'm in there does seem to be more people are going around without masks but you know we wear the mask to try to protect other people particularly the more vulnerable amongst us so Anna uh, thank you for your call and I hope you and your family are all okay and it's tough to have five down uh, with it all at the one time so hopefully you won't all drive each other mad when you're all on lockdown for the seven days together 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and thank Thank you to Hendrik for pointing out when I mentioned how much more transmissible the second wave, this new Omicron is versus the first Omicron. It's 30% more transmissible, not, I said 30 times. Sorry, Hendrik. And actually, I don't know, did I say 30 times? It's 30% more transmissible than the original Omicron. Thank you uh, for pointing that out uh, to us. And someone else is saying, Patricia, I think the high numbers weren't helped by the extra bank holiday on Friday. Yeah, and I think nurses and doctors who work in accident and emergency departments and work on the front line will 100% agree with that uh, as well. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103 and just we got an answer back in uh, by the way yesterday afternoon from the Road Safety Authority because we had contacted them yesterday because we were getting some calls in from listeners who had sent off application for their driving licence and they were waiting what seemed to be an excessive period of time in that they were waiting a number of weeks and people have been led to believe including one of our listeners who had done it online Mick I think it was who was told it would be out within three to six working days and that led to listeners saying I'm waiting weeks I haven't had my driving licence back sent off everything you know had everything all the I's dotted and the T's crossed so we got on to the RSA who run the National Driving Licence the NDLS centres to see what's the hold up is there a hold up with driving licence and they came back to say we are receiving very high volumes of licence applications at present we received over 82,000 in February alone and we expect close to 95,000 applications for renewal of driving licence in March normal volumes are around 60,000 per month the higher volumes are as a result of licences whose expiry date was extended because of COVID-19 now becoming due for renewal. This has resulted in applications taking longer than expected to be processed and they're apologising for this. They're engaging with the NDLS on measures to improve processing times. They, we anticipate that higher application volumes will continue over the coming months and we would remind customers that there is an online application available at www.ndls.ie. So anyway, panic averted for people because I was just fearful that something go missing in the post, you know, when something doesn't arrive because we it, our postal service is fantastic but we do know that items for whatever reason uh, can get go to a wrong address or can get lost in the post so that's what I was fearful of. So fear not if you're one of those, particularly those that contacted us yesterday waiting on your driving licence. It's just due to the very, very high volumes of licence application going through the system at the moment. 0818 103 
103. Our lines are open. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. The Rural Independent Group of TDs have accused the government and the ESB of jointly profiteering on the back of skyrocketing Irish electricity prices and have now called on the Thetic to take immediate action by capping ESB profits. West Cork Dáil Deputy Michael Collins is part of that rural group of TDs and uh, Michael joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I, I, I don't know, are you in West Cork at the moment or are you in Dublin? No, I'm in Dublin. Oh, yeah, in Dublin. Dublin. I was just wondering, I was just imagining it must be a beautiful day in West Cork. because It's, it's a, lovely here in Dublin as well, but it? here it's beautiful down in West Cork. Oh, also. I just, I imagine it must be the most glorious place to be on, on a day like today. Okay, now in all your time in public life, can you ever remember people struggling so much with energy costs? Uh, no, um, uh, you know, it's astonishing the way things have been left by a load of control. And obviously the situation in the Ukraine is, uh, is exasperated that issue, but it was heading that direction anyhow. And unfortunately, uh, I feel that the government, you know, can intervene on, in so many fronts and have failed to intervene. We saw what happened a week and a half ago with the fuel, with the, the fuel since they gave off. It was already gone on it the night before, uh, and, and, and people didn't feel the benefit by that. And what's happening, unfortunately, is the economy is, is grinding to a halt. And I, I'm meeting business people like that. Uh, a silos contractor in with me over the weekend in my clinic in, in, in West Cork, and he was telling me that if fuel stays at the price it's going to stay at, He's going to be paying 130,000 euros more this year to carry out his work. That has to be passed on to the farmer. The farmer has to, uh, can't continue uh, at the expenses uh, there uh, at the present, so he's going to pass it on to the consumer. So it's, it's, a, it's a, d- a disaster situation that's not being uh, tackled, uh, honestly. And this ESB uh, price hikes that are continuing on a, uh, nearly now, and every two to three weeks, are, are something that the government can tackle, and the government owns 95% of the of ESB and can therefore take an exert, uh, exert a significant influence over the company's direction. But rather, yeah, okay, just this, just to, yeah. just to explain to me, but the ESB they control the national electricity network. They do, but the government uh, owns 95% stake in, in ESB. And the thing is, that we'll say, despite you know record price increases that we all know about, and everybody is suffering from that. When they look at their bill gone from 200 to 400 or 500 in some cases, the government, as I said, oh, 95%, they announced an operating profit. That company of 679 million in 2021, which provided net profits of 191 million. So if a company is making that kind of profit, surely be to God that the government sees that and can pass some of that on to the, to the customer, some of these profits and benefits back to the customer. But instead, we've seen that you know, they've rose about 70% in 2021. I know predicted again, ESB charges are predicted to rise even further this year with board cash announcing last week of a, a price, a further price hike of 27%. So yeah, like, and I think the board gosh one last week, what really annoyed people was the fact that they're also, besides putting up uh, the, the unit price of gas and the unit price of electricity, they're also putting up uh, pro rata on the standing charges and the standing charges infuriate people because w- if you don't even switch on a light switch or turn on any bit of gas you're still going to have these standing charges They are and, and you know there are the, the little tail ends of all your bills and when you see them they're, they're, these price rises on the standing charges it, puts, it, it upsets people a lot but the whole point is people can't afford to pay it I was in the doll last night pleading with uh, Minister Heather Humphreys late last night to try and see could she do something in the fuel announce because people, a whole lot of people that I know are trying to qualify for fuel announce. They're out by a euro, they're out by five euros, something very, very small. 
but their expenses are not taken into account at all. And, and if you're an illness benefited, it's, it, you can't qualify for fuel loans, which is terrible and fair on a lot of people. And I have people telling me that they ha- that have cancer cannot put on the heating in their own home because they can't afford it and they haven't they haven't got any state help as such uh, through their illness to try and at least pay for some of these bills. But a lot of people know, Patricia, the biggest worry is when they see the electricity bill coming in the door, is it going to be 400, is it going to be 500, something that was 180, 190, 200, about a year and a half ago. And then to, um, to, 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 for we to unearth that the government has earned 1.2 billion in ESB dividends in the past decade alone. So, like, there's somebody making the, the, the system here and they're making the ordinary person on the ground that can't afford to pay these bills, and that's what it comes down to, Patricia. Can you afford or can't you afford? And everybody wants to pay their bills and have to pay their bills because they don't want their ESB turned off on them. But when they see a government making masses of profits out of people's misery, basically, it's very, very, very unfair. Yeah, and and I know certainly some some listeners that we would hear from, particularly those that are on a you know a very fixed income, and and they're really good to manage money. The, I'm not talking about people who are wasteful in any way with their money. They get their weekly what would be it a pension or a social welfare allowance, or in some cases they're they're on low paid jobs and they know exactly where every euro is going every week. You know they put a fiver here, a tenner there. They put all the money away, and and therefore when they get a sudden hike in any bill it throws them completely and like we're hearing from people to say the only way they can save is on food absolutely and and sadly that's what it comes down to it's they're saving on food they're trying to they're turning off the heating um you know on cold nights it's it's not easy for elderly it's not easy for those who are ill uh, because they can't afford to have have it on and they can't afford to have the the simple put on the, the oil heating you see the problem we have in this country is there's a very strong, a very strong green agenda. There's nothing wrong with a green agenda if you have alternatives. We have no alternatives. And what they've decided in this country, in this government, have decided is to punish the people in the pocket mostly. And some of, some of the, the, these, these price rises are uh, of issues outside of our control, the war or whatever, but they were heading up anyway because they had decided to increase, uh, continuously increase fuel and increase energy costs through the carbon tax. And the carbon tax is a lovely tax if everything is in place and there's alternatives for people. But unfortunately, we do depend on fuel, and we might depend on fuel. I heard Eamon Ryan the other night out in the boat, and he talking about wind energy. When there's nothing wrong with wind energy out in, at sea if it's, if it's not going to interfere with the fishermen. There's nothing at all wrong with it. But then he continued to say, I will be starting in 2026. Yeah, We're at least 10 I, years away yeah. from solutions. I and have sadly, to say, it, 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 I think today. everyone accepts offshore, you know, send it out all offshore because nobody wants to live near or by these giant wind, wind turbines. And then we've already proved it wasn't very windy last year inland. So half of those wind turbines didn't produce what they were expected to produce. Whereas if we put them offshore and it might be more expensive to invest in them, but long term. But we've been talking about this uh, since God was a child and we're, we're nowhere near to sorting that problem. And that's exactly what I've been saying all along inside in the doll. There's nothing wrong with your plans. Continue with your plans. We need we need energy supply here. We can supply a lot of the produce that we're, we're, we're now depending on, 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 on for other countries uh, to, to bring in some produce here that we can make ourselves and have ourselves until all these beautiful ideas that they have will come into place, but that's 10 years down the road. And we can't suffer and continue to suffer. And they, what, what they're trying to do is price fuel out of the reach of the ordinary people, and there's no solution. The last time they, 
they, they had this, well, I'd like to call it a, a mini-budget. That's what we were calling the rule in the Pinnacle, but they refused a mini-budget. But they came out in with a, an idea that we're going to have a 20% reduction in, 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 in the travel costs for people. Then we find out after the people of rural Ireland aren't going to benefit from that at all. It's the people that are on the loose, that have the train, that have the dart, are going to have that 20% decrease, or if they're lucky to have a bus, air and bus. But for private operators, and there's so many private operators in West Cork and and, and Toke Cork County, they will not qualify for this 20%. And I, I, I questioned that to Minister Ryan there two weeks ago, and he was apologetic. Apologetic is not fair. It's not fair on the people of rural Ireland to be hit in the pocket for everything. And carbon tax is only an attack a simple attack on the people who learn that was supported, unfortunately, by Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Greens, and, and Sinn Féin, and the Labour Party, and Shoptims in, in, in the Dáil. Now they're all coming out, bar the, bar the Green Party, saying it's not a good idea, we need to stop it now. Do we but know, actually, but just, on, just on carbon tax, because the next increase that would have been announced in last October's budget is the 1st of May. Is, is that still going ahead? At this present time, it looks like it is. We've raised this issue again this week in the Dáil. My rural independent group, including myself, pleading with it yesterday, saying that this cannot go ahead. At the moment, it's, it's, it's full steam ahead. It's, it's a green agenda. Unfortunately, I, I, and I've been pleading with councils because it looks like TDs, senators, they're not listening and not taking the stories of the, of the crisis that's on the ground in all constituencies back to the, to the ministers and back to the powers that be to at least start working with people like, uh, you know, the fuel decrease uh, two weeks ago. That should have been 50 cents. And the government could have taken it because for every 70, up to that point, Patricia, for every 17 euros of fuel you were putting into your car, the government were taking 10 euros in tax. It's a complete rip-off. And it's not, we can't be blaming the, the war. We can't be blaming it. This is what's going on behind the people's back. Anyhow, on the run-up to this, no, the war has exasperated the issue and it's putting farmers in dire straits. I have people... People who are telling me that they have a quota for twenty-seven thousand euros to go out and catch, but it's going to cost them thirty thousand to go out in the trawler. Yeah, we've, the we've, we've spoken with the fishermen who are saying it's just not economically viable for them to go out and and fish, which is a horrendous situation that they uh, find themselves in. Somebody says, "Could you ask Michael? Does he know? Is the fuel allowance going to stop in April? There hasn't. Whenever they extend the fuel allowance, it's normally only a week or two before. Are you hearing anything about an extension of the fuel allowance? I, di- I didn't, and, and no. I, you know, maybe I had a, good, a lot of questions raised on this last night with uh, Minister Heather Humphreys, and she didn't mention it that it was extended. She she mentioned how they raised the the, the, the increase of the, the threshold, all right, but not uh, of extending it. Uh, and they gave the extra the hundred extra hundred and twenty five that went through last week. But uh, and I know if they do decide to that listener, if they do decide to extend the fuel allowance by a couple of weeks, it doesn't get announced until very close uh, to it. Um, so we'll we'll wait and we'll keep an eye on it in April. The two hundred euro per household, the electricity rebate, that's to start arriving, isn't it, from next month, from April, the next uh, bill. It is at this stage now, when it first got mentioned, it seemed great. It's simply not going to be enough. It will probably cover, and in some cases, won't even cover the two monthly increase that people are getting their bills once every two months. Uh, so, uh, as I said, bills are gone from 200 to, to, to 400 to 450. You're talking about people paying 1,000 to 1,300 at, the, at this stage, and, they, and it looks like it's set to rise again extra in one year's uh, electricity bills alone. And that's just electricity. We're not even talking about the fuel or the home heating oil or the car, car uh, fuel or whatever. So, you know, the T-shirt needs to genuinely have a proper mini-budget here and stop 
dip, dipping and in and dipping out and drip feeding little decreases that are miniature and are not working on the ground with people. And if, if they if they won't, particularly my worries, I've been talking to builders, I've been talking to fishermen, farmers who are telling me the country is grinding to a halt. They cannot afford to continue to go on. They can't afford to pay the bills at home. When, and then you see electricity companies like ESB that the, the government have, 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 have a massive share in, um, getting 679 million profits in 2021. So these people can't afford to pay the bills at home. They're still trying to get out there and walk every day, fill the, fill the fuel in the, the vehicles. And what we got? Oh, use public transport. This is, is the best uh, solution, and there's no public transport there in rural Ireland. We're in, a very, we're in a perilous state, to be quite honest with you, and we're not, we're not getting the sympathy or the understanding from the government, and they need to wake up on this issue very, very yeah, seriously. And, and, need to wake up. and just, just by the way, seeing as you mentioned the reduction in the excise duty uh, that that happened uh, two weeks ago on the pet on the petrol and on the diesel, I was reading this morning that the Consumer and Competition Protection uh, Commission, I think they got about two hundred complaints from members of the public who felt there was price gorging uh, going on, and that some, no, not all that some of the garages actually put up their prices and that they didn't pass on in time the reduction in excise duty. Do you believe that there was some price scorching going on on behalf of garages? Oh, certainly there was. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no point in saying that there wasn't because I feel like if I say that, but I, I saw it myself because, okay, I travelled quite a lot throughout the country. I saw it up here in Dublin quite a lot and you massive, massive um, differences in prices. But no, people are watching. They're watching the petrol, every petrol pump as they're passing. They're, they're trying to see which is the cheapest because they're trying to get the cheapest yeah. fuel, obviously, in their car. So, uh, you know, people notice quite a lot now. And in fairness, now, just after leveling out, there's very little difference between a lot of them. Um, but but at, the, at first, uh, there certainly was. And you see, the problem was people didn't know. So it's gone up uh, tonight. It's gone up the next day. I think I went to the filling station, um, I think, in five days. And in five days, I went three times. And in three times, it had gone up. Um, every every time uh, you every went, every time I gone, yeah. I was thinking, what for God? When is this going to stop? Like just spiraling out of control. But the decrease they got in, unfortunately, was nowhere near, nowhere near enough. And unfortunately, it didn't come back to the green diesel, back to the farmer and 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 and, and fishermen on the ground, but, but and, it, and the home heating. But it will down. be. I mean, I'm. I'm glad to see that the competition authorities look, is looking into it. I know they've written to the trade unions etc. But I mean it'll be shocking if that's proven that because they know, you know, people, everyone is struggling. It would be just awful to think that any business would decide to make a profit on the back of something like well, the high cost of, of rising fuel. It, absolutely, but it's very much the same uh, in relation to ESB. Instead of what is needed here, by, we need swift action here by the government to insist that we'll say the ESB cease ripping off customers. And a price cap on profits is needed, Patricia, and the government cannot, it's, it's burying its head in the sand and thinking that, you know, we're pointing the finger at the whole of the world, but they, actually they can resolve quite a lot of these issues here. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm talking a lot about ESB energy, obviously, and then and fuel. And if we're not going to tackle the fuel crisis in this country, it's going to grind this country to a halt. We had a minister coming out yesterday saying that he'd pay people to, to so green. First of all, it's about a month too late. Secondly, secondly, you have a farmer saying, what? We're getting, it's going to cost us twice as much as that in fuel. And they're trying to get that point across uh, to, to, to sow the grain and it won't pay to sow the grain. So the whole system is very shaky at the moment and the government needs immediate, immediate okay. action.
Okay, and uh, you mentioned the fuel allowance earlier. Uh, Councillor Declan Hurley, he says, Hi Patricia, I'm inundated with constituents being refused the fuel allowance because they're 5, 10, maybe 15 euro over the threshold. Families with elderly parents, a sick family member. It is so wrong and on so many levels to be denying families the chance of some heating and still they're going ahead and introducing carbon ta- tax in a few months' time. It seems we have a heartless and senseless government. They're, they're just throwing loose change at the problem, hoping that we will all shut up and stay quiet. I'm so frustrated at the current trend. Kind regards, uh, Councillor Declan uh, Hurley. And it is, for, and, you know, it is dreadful for families who are that close to qualifying, Michael. The it is, and, you know, five, ten, fifteen euro to be that close, and it's—is it? It's as black and white as that. I suppose it, it doesn't have to be for means testing. It, it does, and unfortunately, you know, you, you, a lot of people have a huge expenses. They may have mortgages, loans of some sort that 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 would prove that they're well, well uh, within the the boundaries of of of, of the fuel loans boundaries. But unfortunately, uh, the minister, the best she was telling me last night, was that the people are in. Ah, nobody wants That's to do that. Crazy. That's crazy. No, and, and then you're going cap in hand. You can't. You can't go every week to no, the no. community where you know. And I accept that there has to be means testing, but it just seems to be a very cold, calculated way of deciding if somebody's entitled to something. I mean, I think you know if you're talking about a situation where there's somebody in the household who's unwell, or as Declan said, you know, elderly parents, you know, a cancer patient, somebody who needs additional heat. Surely there should be some other way that if you're just outside side of it well let's look at your other circumstances and see did your other circumstances allow you to get it but it, it's just it's black and white it's black and white and it's, it's all based on your income and nothing else and, yeah. uh, and, and that's very very unfair in most situations that isn't isn't the way it's worked but in this in relation to fuel loans that's the way it's worked and, and it seems, like is, it, is it the same as well for a medical card I had a man yesterday he's 12 euro over for a medical card and he got turned down there is um, allowances, all right, in relation to medical care, health insurance. I mean, um, if you're paying a mortgage, that's a load of the, there's a criteria there, all right. That there's a bit of flexibility. Under. So it, okay. it certainly would be an idea for him to, okay. to appeal that and, and um, have a deeper look as to what his expenses are. And, and, Especially and when, it's, when it's just 12 euro. Uh, okay, and John says, Michael Collins has his finger on the pulse as usual. He's highlighting what the plain people are talking about. Inflation is set to reach 8% later this year with big increases in food on the way. People will simply not be able to uh, survive. And listen... Michael, before we let you go, I think one of the last times we spoke with you was about the little boy who travelled over from uh, Ukraine to yes. to West Cork for the cancer treatment. Leonid, um, any update on how he's doing? Leonid, is, is, he's in, um, I think, he's day 11 of a 28-day treatment programme in Crumlin Hospital at the moment. He's up there with his mum and his dad. Um, I was talking to his family in West Cork. I hope to go to see him maybe next week, give him a small bit of chance here with them in Dublin, went there in Dublin. But I hope to go to see them next week But because i got loads of presents for him uh, <laughs> from, from, from the general public that I must deliver. But as well as that, um, um, they're hoping that this 28-day treatment programme will obviously, obviously the hospital home this will help him, but we'll see how it works out. They felt he looked a lot more brighter himself, you know, a little more hair in the head and stuff like that. So maybe, you know, things are turning around, I hope they are, for his sake. But he's on day 11 of a 28-day treatment programme in Crumlin Hospital at the moment. God, and, and just to remind us, he's a little five-year-old boy, he'd... Uh, 
He's leukaemia, isn't it? He has cancer yes. of the blood. And he was about to get a bone marrow transplant and the hospital he was due into was actually bombed in, in Kharkiv. It was just a shocking situation uh, and our thoughts are very much with that family. OK, listen, Michael, thank you for that. And, yes. and then if you get any update, let us know because I know a lot of listeners are thinking of him and praying for him and just sent on our yes. best wishes no. to all of the family. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Deputy uh, Independent Joel Deputy for West Cork, Michael Collins, 0818 103 103. Bernie, taking your call. Uh, Peter Dowdle not available to join us uh, today. It's just been confirmed he can't join us today, but he will be back with us next Wednesday. That doesn't mean, though, that can stop you going out into doing any bits and pieces you need to do around the garden, but no gardening slot on the programme today. Now, we were talking about the high rise in COVID uh, numbers and a lot of people pointing to the fact that we had the extra bank holiday. And the irony isn't lost on the frontline workers that the extra bank holiday was given as an acknowledgement to all of the work that had been done by the frontline workers during the pandemic. And the irony not lost on them because if anything, because of the rise in the numbers, they are seeing a huge amount of additional workloads. And, you know, you've got the uh, Philney Hay from the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation coming out saying nurses and uh, midwives. And I'm, I'm assuming you can throw in doctors and porters and care assistants are absolutely exhausted at the moment with the amount of work that they have to do, particularly with the overcrowding in the hospitals and the trolley issue that we that we have. And, uh, you know, they've said we need to go back to wearing masks in order to try to stop the spread of what is is now a highly, highly contagious strain of coronavirus and this wave that we're currently in. Kate has messaged the programme to say, Patricia, we have a much bigger problem. Kate knows of two people who tested positive for COVID-19, but because neither of them are feeling very unwell, which seems to be the case, in fairness, for a lot of people, not for everyone. I've also heard of people who are floored with it, but for a lot of people, they're not feeling very unwell. But because these two people are not feeling, you know, bit sniffly maybe, you know, I'm not sick at all. What are they doing? They're out and about doing their shopping as if there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. And the big worry there is if they're out doing their shopping and they haven't got masks on and they come in contact with somebody um, who's vulnerable or somebody who's a vulnerable patient at home, it's just crazy. I mean, regardless of if you're feeling 100%, you still need to self-isolate if you test positive for COVID-19. And as I say, there are some people who wouldn't even have known that they'd COVID-19, only that they'd do a test because they were a close contact or whatever. And, you know, it's only then they discovered it. But the, the majority of people are being very sensible and very responsible. I mean, that's what it is. It's being responsible by self-isolating. Eddie in Bandon says we should never have stopped wearing those masks and we should have given the fourth jab to high-risk people. We should have done it long ago. We seem to be waiting now until the horses bolted and if the government wants to take the pressure off people they should also be allowed to work from home if they want to. There's also the additional cost for people who've returned to the office, the expense of having to drive to work. And that's that the increase in petrol and diesel prices couldn't come at a wor- couldn't have come at a worse time for people who had been working from home and suddenly then the big return to the office it's coincided didn't it with the, a spike in fuel prices so it is costing a lot of people to go to work as well thank you for that uh, Eddie on driving licence Tom in Cork City applied for his driving licence about a month ago it arrived this morning Tom said to people just be a little bit patient it is on the way and Rena in Skib said she applied for her driver's licence a few weeks ago 
ago. She did it online and she got hers in the post yesterday. So they are working through, they certainly are working through the backlog as the RSA said, they've never seen anything like. But they, they know the explanation for it. It's because so many people got an extension on their driving licence because of when we were all in lockdown, there was an extension put on a lot of the driving licence. So it's catch up that they have to do. And I don't think they've got any additional staff in. So it's the same amount of staff doing the work. So a little bit of patience, but your driving licence will arrive. Now, we've been talking about the high cost of electricity. Derry in Yall says his electricity bill this time last year was €120. Euro. His bill has arrived today and it's only €28. Euro. Now, he said he did have a new smart meter installed. That wouldn't have anything to do with it, though. But Derry says, uh, is the €200 euro payment come through from the government? My guess would be that that's exactly what has happened at Derry. But if you look at the bill, it'll clearly state if the rebate is on it. I can't remember the, I'll find out the exact wording of how they're going to word it. We were told it would be arriving in the April bills, but maybe some of the April bills are starting to arrive now that, and therefore you you have got the €200. Euro. But if you'd got the €200 euro and you've only been asked to pay 28 that means your bill would have been 228 And you're saying this time last year it was 120 With the way electricity prices have been rising, that to me sounds like your bill should have been 228 so it is the €200 euro off. But check on the bill. The only other thing I can think of, because you stated when you contacted us that you did get a new smart meter installed. Now, a smart meter is not going to put up the price of your electricity or drop the price of your electricity. But the one thing the smart meter will do is you're getting a very accurate reading on your bill. Could it have been that for the last number of bills you had been paying an estimated bill and that this is the first real bill you've received maybe in six months? Because I know it happened to one of our listeners who got a smart meter installed and suddenly the first bill after the smart meter bill went in was much higher than what they were expecting and they were start thinking, oh, it had to do with the smart meter and we were saying, no, it couldn't have been. And when we looked into it for that person, they had been on estimated bills for the previous six months and unfortunately the estimated bill was below what they should have been paying. So then the smart meter gets installed, they get an exact exact bill and there was the backlog from the previous six months. So that was a bit of a shock. And of course, we had the rising costs of electricity thrown into the mix as well. But check your bill, Derry. But yes, I will be thinking you have received your €200, Euro, but it does show how much your electricity has gone up by. And that's reflected. Everybody's say, kind of saying the same thing with the way bills are going up. Now, we spoke about means testing in the last hour when we were speaking with Michael Collins and in particular it was with regard to the fuel allowance and uh, Councillor Declan Hurley was saying he's never seen so many constituents come in to him saying they did the means test for the fuel allowance and they might be only a five or over or a ten or over and there's, it's black and white there's absolutely no wriggle room at all and is making the point whenever you fill in any of those forms they're always asking what is coming in they never seem to take time to look at what's going out of the household and that's what is very very unfair on some of the means testing and particularly it does seem to be on the means testing for the fuel allowance you either are under the amount or or there's no it's gone because you know Michael did say with the medical card there does seem to be some flexibility around items that you pay out but it's certainly not the same with the fuel allowance Uh, Mossy in West Cork says hi Patricia how are you I'm doing well thank you very much Uh, the government can have what I just what Mossy describes as 
selective means tests and means being the exact word for certain financial schemes. And he cites, for example, this €200 energy relief that we're getting back on our electricity. That's not being means tested. And it's the very same as the children's allowance. That's also not means tested, says Mossy. So it means there are a cohort of people who will receive both the €200 because every single household in the country is getting €200 off their electricity bill. Uh, Every single household will get it regardless of how wealthy that household is. And Mossy says it's the same. Very wealthy parents are also getting children's allowance. So I'm assuming that what Mossy is saying, he would like instead to see that they means test things like that means test well I know there was talks about the electricity and why didn't they means test it and spread the money out to families who really would need it and take it away from people who there's you know there will be a cohort of people who are financially well off and they'll still get the 200 euro off their electricity and they won't really need it they'll be well able to afford even with the electricity costs uh, rising but I remember at the time they said it would be too complicated a scheme if they went down the means tested route and they wanted to get it out to people as quickly as possible so they felt the fairest and the easiest way from a processing point of view was to give it to every single household. Having said that, we when we when we raised that issue before in the programme, we did hear from people who are financially in a position where they feel they have enough money coming in that they don't need the two hundred euro off. And many people had said that they were going to donate it to charity instead. So you will get you will get some, not all, you will get some uh, people doing that. And then Mary contacted us and this was at the close of the programme yesterday and I didn't get a chance to get around it. Mary says, here's something to make you smile. And this I suppose is evidence of when red tape goes completely mad, <laughs> when bureaucracy goes mad and when there's got to be a way around it kind of a thing. You're thinking, oh, I'm going around in circles on this. Mary messaged the programme to say, my daughter needs to apply for her first passport and also will then go forward to apply for her learner permit. She's at that age. She's about to learn to drive a car. I went online to check what is needed to find that she needs to have a public service card. So I went online to apply for her public service card. Guess what? She needs to either have a driving permit or a passport as proof of ID in order to apply for the public services card. So there I am going round in circles, says Mary. It'll keep me busy trying to solve uh, this one. Yeah, there, there, and there is a way around it. It does seem absolutely crazy, particularly for people for the first time applying for the, the PPS card like that. Somebody, you know, at 16, 17 coming to the age where they're applying to have their own passport or they're applying for their driving uh, licence they're not going to have they're, they're not going to have either in which to show evidence of identity. I did check it out for you Mary though and it, it does clearly state uh, in order to, when you go to apply for your public services card that you need to have evidence of identity and the evidence of identity is either a, your current passport or your driving licence as you say of which you have your daughter has at neither but if you don't have either she'll need to bring her birth cert with her a copy of her birth cert so if she brings that with her and I always say to people as well because you don't want to be you've got to make an appointment and you don't want to get there and then to discover oh I don't have everything with me so it's to try and check out in advance and obviously that's what Mary is doing Citizens Information I'm always sending people Citizens Information way give them a call if you ever have a dilemma like that because they really are fantastic at working way, a way around and coming up with another solution as to how you can do it but I've checked it for you there and it does clearly state, state if you don't have a driver's licence and you don't have a passport because there will be people without neither 
if you bring your I, I would say bring the long form of the passport with her just to be sure to be sure and then Jim was on to say Patricia is anybody else having trouble accessing teletext on RTE1 and RTE2 for the last three to four days we're in the Kildallery area and it keeps saying loading and it just doesn't connect and um, my straight one when I immediately saw that text coming from Jim I was like God, that's the Airtel teletext didn't they get rid of that because I remember looking into this before and they did get rid of it I think it disappeared around 2019 when they switched off the analogue I think it went uh, completely but it is still available on satellite so I'm assuming Jim is picking it up on satellite so anybody else out there using the Airtel teletext service as I say available on satellite has anybody else noticed that for the last three to four days seems to be a problem loading it it just won't connect or is it an issue that's just particular to where Jim is living in Kildallery if anybody else has noticed that 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs With Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with M MTU's range of full-time, part-time and professional courses. Succeeding together with mtu.ie. Security technician is wanted for gate automation and CCTV systems. That's in Cork City and County. Email CVs to accounts at cronanelectrical.com. The Alzheimer's Society, they're recruiting carers for home visits in the Mallow and North Cork areas. Job does come with flexible hours. Contact Lena at 085 8701 456. Cook slash housekeeper required for Kinsale. Please apply with a CV and a cover letter to Kinsale at Carmelites.ie. And Lloyd Bowmaker Accountants. They're looking for a qualified accountant. It is for a full time position. CVs please to info at LloydBowmaker.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Now, for the first time since 2019, communities across Ireland will once again turn daffodil yellow this Friday as they take to the streets to raise funds and give hope to cancer patients and indeed to their families. To talk about the importance of funds raised on Daffodil Day, I'm joined by Sonia Lynch, who is a patient advocate with the Irish Cancer Society. Good morning to you, Sonia. Hi, Patricia. Thank you for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. Now, because you have been through cancer, does that really help with your work? Because you can really identify with others who are on that journey. Uh, Yes, I think um, absolutely. And I suppose um, being part of of the LIFA team and being an advocate has made me realise how important it is. And I think it it has also um, made the, the medical people realize also how important it is to have um to have a patient advocate to be able to give their side of it and um bring up issues that may not have been even thought about or addressed or maybe some issues that you may not have thought were bigger issues and they may have caused you a bigger amount of trauma than than other issues that seem more obvious um so yeah i think it balances out that and it gives it gives room for good discussion on um, improve, improving really I suppose it's like a review um, of anything of any service reviewing the service 
even if some of it might be critical feedback, it's good feedback and that's how we learn. Yeah, absolutely. And Ab- absolutely. And if I can take you back, um, when when were you diagnosed and uh, how scary was it to hear that you had cancer? Yeah, so I was diagnosed in 2014. Um, I, I have never been held at 39 at the time. I have three kids. Um, I have three kids. So one was nearly three, seven and nine, I think, at this stage. Um, so I was diagnosed with um, hormone-positive breast cancer. So basically, I... I'd never been healthy in my life, I felt. I was actually very well. Um, my son jumped on me. My younger son jumped on me, and I felt a, a lump just on my breast. And kind of thought about it for a week or two. I have a pediatric nurse myself, so I just kind of was in the back of my head. I didn't have pain and nothing like that. But only when he jumped on me, I was more conscious of it. So basically, I went to um, my GP, and yes, within a few days, I was um, having biopsies, having, having scans, having biopsies. And the following week, I got my diagnosis of um, hormone-positive breast cancer. Yeah, so that was scary, I suppose. Um, considering I felt well, I know that everybody says that, but considering I felt so well, I probably never felt well better in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so that was a but, bit of a shock. And then to have to go through treatment yeah. while rearing three little ones. I mean, it's yeah. it, it's difficult for young parents and mothers in particular, isn't it, to go through yeah. cancer because you still have to focus. I mean, you know, you three, do. seven yeah. and a nine-year-old, they need they need mummy yeah. and they need a lot of attention. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, that's what you that's what you want to do. You don't, It's not that you want, you know, it's not that you get a break from it. It's just, it's, it's what you always want to do. Even going through surgery and chemo, um, I, from my experience, I wanted to be out of hospital as soon as I could. I, I mean, I literally wanted to be out the next day because that was that was me. That was what I did, and I I felt I was I was you know because I wasn't able to do that you know or because I had to take the time, but it forced me to take the time. It forced me that I didn't have a choice, and that that's what probably cancer does. I suppose it stops you in your tracks and makes you realize that you know. It's something that has to be dealt with. So it's very grown up, really, I suppose, when you're used to pottering away, doing your school runs and doing your activities. Um, and I mean, the kids are fantastic. It's not that. But you want your life and you want their life to keep going, even though you're in shock. And you want to protect them also, I suppose, from... Were they too young to understand what was happening to mummy? Um, they probably had no experience of it because I can't remember... Um, any experience before that in our family, thank God, other than grandparents, you know, years ago, but they would never have been through any of that. So they didn't know anybody in similar circumstances. So we just basically started with, there was a lump in my breast, which they thought was very funny, you know, because we never, they were used to using words, I suppose, body parts. Which is yeah. No, but, you know, we never had to, I suppose, you know. Um, so, yeah, they found it funny, but we, we adapted it to them. Okay, so okay. I need to go in and get it removed. So they don't have the same, at that age, they didn't have the same fears as I had, obviously, because when you're diagnosed, you go straight to the worst scenario, I suppose. And then you have to just take a breath and get your information and then, you know, your proper information and then realize, okay, there is, you know, this is not, hasn't been my world up to now, but there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of other people who've gone through it and that makes you realize, and one thing I always said to myself was, I'm not the first person to go through this. And unfortunately, I won't be the last. So yeah, that's, and that's for why me, that I, gave me a bit of strength because it yeah. made me think I can do this and I can do it for my children or I can do it for my husband or whoever, whatever your circumstances. You may not have children, you can be single. But you, I mean, in, initially, I suppose when you're diagnosed, you will, you go through a crisis and it's just do whatever you have to do 
city of real life is what is what is well for me going through my head and I imagine most people with a diagnosis of cancer. So the initial stage is I suppose do whatever you have to do and I'll you know, you, you go with that. So I think I I was fine. I wasn't fine. I didn't want to go through chemo, I didn't want to lose my hair, I didn't want to do any of that. But I knew it had to be done. So it was just something I had to do and that we would do and that, you know, we would things would come out better, that it you know, it was going to be a tough year, I suppose, at the time we felt And did the but losing the losing of the hair, Sonia, was that yeah. difficult? At the time, I suppose, under the circumstances I felt um, that losing your hair was a small price for saving your life because without the chemo, obviously, the cancer would have spread. And so at the time, I don't think I realised how psychologically traumatic it was. Now, it was definitely harder than the surgery because I suppose I'd been in the section and you're in for a week and there's, there's a very short time so you, will, you know, there's a build-up for the surgery, you have your surgery, and then your recovery. So you're always kind of on the better side once you've had your surgery and you're, you feel, okay, I feel, you know, I might be awful or I might be in pain now, but it will feel better next week and it'll feel better. And that always gives you. So we broke it down, I suppose, and I imagine most people do that. We didn't try not to think about the chemo until it came to the door. So we did our surgery. And when I say we, I suppose my husband has been through as much as I have um, with living with me and being, my, you know, being my, my partner and my husband. And the kids, so I always include them in, in what we in the experience, I suppose. So, yeah, and then so when the chemo came, now I think that's when it hit my husband when I lost my hair. I think that really was because you were visually felt like a cancer patient. You could almost pretend you weren't a cancer patient when you yeah. when you had your hair. Suddenly, cancer's you in your break. face. Exactly, and yeah. you you could have your breaks. You know, if you you could pretend almost pretend, but you could have that. You know, feel like yourself. But when you ha- when you start losing your hair, it does it, it does it does take its toll. And I can say that now because I was still going through treatment, having having reoccurred in two thousand and eighteen. But thankfully, since then I haven't had to lose my hair. So I always feel. And are you, are you cancer free now? No, I'm not. No. no. So in two thousand and eighteen, then I um, had some lung surgery because I had some symptoms, and it was the breast cancer, the hormone positive breast cancer, showed up in my lungs. So I had biopsies and, and I had uh, lung surgery, and that showed up that it had spread, which is called metastatic breast cancer. So it had spread to other areas. So I knew then which was it was a different type of crisis, but it was uh, you know it was a massive crisis. And I suppose as being a nurse, I probably went again to the worst case scenario. Um, it, it, I just found it a very different. I found it very, much more personal. I suppose, a, a personal grief in that the first time around. I suppose. We told everybody literally that day, you know, and we constantly told people about results and the update and the progress and it was all moving forward and everything was quite good. But when it came to the metastatic diagnosis, I found, okay, I really need to process this and process the bigger picture. Mm. So I started being a lot more, um, I, I wasn't giving half as much information. And, and both friends and, and family found that kind of frustrating or found it hard we didn't really understand. But at the time, it meant, okay, we have big decisions to make this. I wanted to every... And plus, it's a much longer process because you could have to, you might have to wait for a scan for a month or two months. It's very, so you have to get on with your life. You have to get on with your daily life. And in order to do that, it meant 
I didn't want to have to be able to go to the shopping centre and have to meet five people and explain the whole story. I know, and, and yeah, it's and I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's good for for people to hear that as well, yeah. uh, Sonia. Yeah. If they do have a family member or a friend who's going yeah. through it, you know, yeah. let the that the person with the cancer set the pace of how much information yeah. they want about. And I know people mean well, but the, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough enough to be going through it without having to yeah. go over it over and over again with everybody. And I, I suppose looking back, because there were two different experiences, I, I didn't probably realise it as much at the time, but people were so good and it was fantastic to have that support. And I, I'm not downing that in any shape or form. It was fantastic. And, you know, the people I worked with, I was getting present, I was getting everything. I was just, I was actually kind of a bit embarrassed because I was kind of thinking, and it was fantastic, but I felt like an old bat sometimes. So if I met someone and they'd been really kind to me, I felt, oh, just get it out and just say, even if I wasn't in the mood, I'd just, I know, just tell I know. them. Because if you told one person and you didn't tell the next person. I know, I can, fu- I can fully go. understand it. Stay there because yeah. because yeah. I, I want I want to talk with you yeah. about the, the Women's Health Initiative that you're involved yeah. in, but I also want to bring in Dr. Robert O'Connor who is with the Irish Cancer Societies and he is Director of Research. I'll put Sonia back on hold there because there's just a bit of noise on the line between the two. Uh, good morning to you, Robert. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Um, and uh, good morning to Sonia in the background as well. Hopefully she's able yeah, to hear you. She can hear you. Yeah, she can yeah. hear you. OK, listen, um, Robert, do you worry about the number of people who have delayed going to a GP during the pandemic and are then ending up with late stage diagnosis because of it? Um, yes, we, we are worried um, that we're seeing what, what um, folks call a stage shift now emerging with later stage presentations uh, of uh, some cancers. However, I, I think the causes are uh, arguably much more complex. And, and I would also be keen to emphasize that none of this is individuals' fault. None of this is, is um, people's um, fault. Um, the challenge is that our cancer services, I suppose, were struggling somewhat before COVID came along, um, there has been massive disruption and that disruption continues to this day uh, and it's particularly important at the minute and I'm not sure that this has really been emphasised enough that people realise that a positive COVID test, even if uh, COVID um, doesn't cause health issues, will cause significant delays in routine appointments, uh, consultations, um, etc. So all of those things are, are, are continuing to cause challenges uh, as well as the impact of the um, massive cyber attack um, nearly, what, nine months ago now as well. So all of these things, I think, are coming together. And um, unfortunately, we are seeing um, these issues. And we're also seeing significant delays to what would otherwise be relatively routine uh, assessment and care of, uh, of cancer and uh, many uh, systems kind of break cancer care up into urgent and non-urgent. And your and my definition of urgent and non-urgent would be a little bit different to maybe the system and definition. Urgent is people who are acutely unwell and are in a life-threatening situation. But if you've been told that there's a, an unusual lump or, um, you know, that cancer has been diagnosed, um, but it's not life-threatening, that may mean in some parts of the country that there are still significant delays, which um, really is a, a significant cause of personal worry for people, as well as that wider system worry that cancer could be developing into something yeah. more difficult and, and, to treat. And as I mentioned when I introduced you, you are the, the head of research, or director of research with the Irish Cancer, cancer Society. Do I take it that a lot of the clinical trials and the research studies would have halted during the pandemic? 
That's correct, um, Patricia. And again, it will take um, time for that uh, to come back. So um, that reflected a lot of the reconfiguration uh, that had to happen uh, within hospitals. So there were different entrances. There was a lot less um, physical contact between um, people over the last two years to get them to consent onto trials. Uh, some of the staff were redeployed, including some of our own um, daffodil centre staff were redeployed into frontline um, uh, roles, etc. Um, and it's been very difficult um, to, to, I suppose, to keep a lot of these things going. Some of the routine care that might be associated, the routine diagnostics and, and uh, screening. And again, the cyber attack impacted that as well because it completely disrupted most routine health communications and some of that is still not back yeah, um, at this stage. So, shocking. Because, yeah, because, because as a small country, we do well when it comes to developing new cancer treatments. You know, lives have been saved and extended because of that research. Absolutely. I suppose people think of that in terms of new medicines, but as Sonia is speaking about there, um, it's about the quality of outcome as well as the quantity of outcome. So, in other words, more people being cured, more people living longer with cancer, but also getting to enjoy the fruits of that and, you know, a better understanding of how we manage uh, and improve uh, outcome. Uh, so, you know, managing side effects, managing some of the psychological effects uh, of cancer, as well as the uh, physical effects. Those might, for example, early onset menopause, sleep disruption, uh, etc. So they are all investigated in rigorous ways under organised studies. Uh, so clinical trials tend to refer to medicines but all of this um, has been disrupted. It is still going on, and we're seeing the signs of, of improvement in terms of patients being accrued. But with ongoing disruptions associated with COVID, with um, staff being out and unavailable for testing positive, with patients maybe missing appointments um, associated with testing positive as well, and this is still a, a challenge. It still needs resource and support. Um, from from our community to help us, you know, keep keep this going. Which which brings us right up to what we're here to talk about today, uh, Daffodil Day, and that's why money raised on Daffodil Day goes to help with that with that research and with those trials. Uh, absolutely, um, the um, folks may not realise this, but the Irish Cancer Society is the largest non-governmental funder of cancer research in the country. Um, that includes clinical trials and, uh, you know, in the Cork area, um, those trials will be taking place both in uh, the Cork University Hospital uh, and also in the Bonds. Um, so, that, you know, we're, we're seeing those kinds of trials, but as well as that, the other networked activity in the background, um, the Women's Health Initiative is only made possible through those um, donations uh, and there's fantastic work going on um, led by uh, Professor Roisin Connolly, uh, Professor um, uh, Josephine, a, a mental block there uh, on, on Josephine's turn, <laughs> and helped by actually by Sonia, uh, who will remind me of, of uh, Josephine's uh, name there, because this is very patient focused, and that's what we like to get into our research that it's led by people affected by cancer and it's supported by people affected by cancer. Brilliant, and I'm just... Uh, Sonia, do you know... Hegarty, well done. Yeah. All right, listen, i let you go, um, Robert, because I don't want your line to interfere with um, Sonia's, but listen, thank you for that and keep doing the great work that you're doing um, at great, the Irish Cancer I look forward to seeing people. I'll be down in Cork tomorrow Brilliant. and Friday myself, so I look forward to seeing people out on the streets okay. there and, and giving us a hand. And, and we're guaranteeing sunshine for Daffodil Day as well, which is always important. 
Absolutely. The last time I was down <laughs> just before uh, COVID wasn't so good, but uh, this day promises to be a fantastic weather day. So. It does. It does. Thanks for that, Robert. Uh, thanks uh, for joining us. And um, Sonia, tell me about yes. this this project, this new yes. women's health initiative under the direction of uh, Professor uh, Roisin uh, Connolly. Tell me yes. about it. So uh, basically, um, it started out being named as the Women's Initiative, and it has now changed uh, since the trial has been set up. It um, has a new name of LISA trial, which stands for Linking Youth Support and Advice. So um, over two years ago, uh, somebody asked me, would I be interested in giving a support letter? Because most projects now um, ask for a patient advocate just to have a patient. Um, and it's, it's not just that person's opinion, it's, it's a mix of opinion. And that's where it starts the conversation. It doesn't mean everything I say, you know, goes. It just means I open up areas or discussions. So basically, um, when I started to write the letter, that's when I actually probably mostly realized the gaps that were in between your medical appointments and issues that were probably bothering me more than um, than I would have liked, I suppose, and were kind of, help, you know, I was kind of stuck, I suppose, with, with certain issues. Um, but I didn't feel there were ones that I ever got time for in the clinic, you know, because most of my clinic appointments were talking with my doctor about recent scans that they need changing. Obviously, I've had a quite, you know, quite complex since 2018. So most of those appointments would be crucial um, conversations. So I didn't feel like relationship issues, um, you know, talking to children, um, you know, self-confidence, fears. I didn't think, I didn't feel myself that there was time for those in the clinics because the consultants can only do so much. And, and as, as in the last few years, it's gotten busier and busier. And especially with this pandemic, I suppose, a lot of calls were on call or on Zoom and that. So um, you definitely didn't get time to talk about those things. So I think this project really is set up to... Um, was set up by Rosalind Connolly, who, to be fair to her, is extremely busy anyway, but, you know, decided we need to make change and how do we start this. She had worked in, in um, John Hopkins and come back with a lot of experience. And she was able to bring that experience back. So she asked a, a team of, of people, would they be interested? And they said, yes, yes, we definitely need we need to improve these services. We need to talk to women. It's starting with women at the moment, but it, it will branch out. And this is just paving a pathway, really. Um, listening to to women about their issues and what we can what can be done. So um, basically, I suppose you know when you're going to your appointments, there was you're going to infusions, chemo's. Um, I would be on a bone um, infusion at the moment, but I would be in and out within an hour and a half, I suppose, an hour even. So unless it's opportunistic to grab the same nurse, you may not actually be able to have you know a conversation about an issue that could be bothering you, and it could be something really small that could be easily helped or, you know, that other people have gone through and learned from that. So there was a lot of the conferences I went to in the Irish Cancer Society did a lot of workshops um, and it was very interesting things for sexual health and relationships and that. So some of those workshops I actually learned from and I thought, you know what, there is actually a lot more that can be done than I would have thought. Um, and some of the issues can be embarrassing. You don't want to talk about them. I suppose I was hormone treatment, so menopause and you felt on the grand scheme of things, I would have said you know, in the past I look at school live. This is what I just have to put up with. But when I actually explored, there was actually remedies. And I was fascinated that there was remedies and thought, okay, I need to tell other people that there's remedies for this because don't, they don't need to suffer in this way. You know, um, you can't change a cancer diagnosis, but there's an awful lot you can do in between to, um, to improve your quality of life. Uh, so this clinic was set up. So someone who was just after treatment maybe in the first two or three months 
of having treatment after their radiotherapy, chemotherapy, um, they can sign up for this trial um, between two or three months to a year. And they will get to meet NRC Kate O'Connell, and she will go through them with highlight some areas that other people have said they had some issues with. Fear, um, so psychological, obviously, is, is um, one of them. Um, sexual issues, talking with children, talking with family, um, lymphedema, uh, dietitian, things that you don't always get access to that might seem very straightforward. Well done, not well done. Uh, yeah, and I think, as you say, some of them are small issues that, you yeah. know, it can simply do, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to yeah. take, and then it gets it gets solved. So, so, so well done, yeah. well done on that. And yeah. just on the, the other issue, because I'm very conscious of the fact, you know, with the, particularly the initial diagnosis and the young children, yeah. when you were working and obviously you had to take yeah. time off work. And it, and I know I've spoken with the Irish Cancer Society before about this. Yeah. They've highlighted the cost of uh, cancer. Yeah. There could be yeah. a huge financial burden on can, a family. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, talk to me about that. Uh, absolutely. It can be a huge, uh, you know, and it, it's one more burden on top of everything else, which can affect, not just affects the cancer patients, but affects, you know, the people they live with, I suppose, because they may not, you know, they obviously... Most people have to give up their jobs temporarily or full time if you know if they've been working, um, and the pressure of that alone is just. And and people might want to talk about it because they might feel on the grand scale of things just something that they have to you know put up with. But I suppose getting as much information about that and the Irish Cancer has done huge work on um, standing up for cancer patients. Really, I suppose, especially through the pandemic, with regards to vaccinations, with regards to medical cards, um, you know, putting forward to the government. Um, so at the moment, I think they've been looking at car park. You know, yeah, par- car parking like charges is, is is one that you don't think of. But if yeah. you, you know, if you're in and out for treatment, and you've got a par- exactly. car, or yeah. a family member has to has to bring you. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Listen, you 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 are. It can fa- be embarrassing too. People it, don't uh, want yeah, to people don't want. Yeah, finance, and particularly you know? when they're going through through something like that, the last thing they want to yeah. be saying to anyone. By the way, we're broke. Anyway, yeah. listen, Sonia, you're you're an amazing yeah. advocate. The no Irish Cancer Society can be very proud of you, and we're encouraging everybody on this Friday. Please contribute whatever you can.
103. And just a reminder, because I can still see some questions coming in. Peter Dowdell, unfortunately, unavailable to us today. Uh, but God willing, he'll be back with us next Wednesday to answer all of your gardening uh, questions. And our Premier League live show with Trevor Welsh, that's powered by Talk Sport. They're also taking a break this weekend, but it will be back on Saturday week, April the 2nd. Get ready for live commentary from the biggest games plus exclusive interviews with Premier League live returning to C103.ie. That's the Premier League live online would now stream live Premier League action with the Now Sports our Sports Extra membership listening on Saturdays on the C103 app or you can go to c103.ie. We had a call in or was a text in earlier from Jim, one of our listeners, who was wondering if I could put a shout out to see was anybody else having problems with the Airtel teletext uh, service that I had to do a quick Google on because I remember when it was removed and it was when the, the switch off from analogue kind of disappeared but then it remained I'm told on satellite services but it also remained on Serview and I was surprised and he, Jim was saying he's having a problem he hasn't been able to get it for the last couple of days so I did the shout out to see many other people do many other people use the service and are others having a problem or is it something that's just going on in the Kildallery area where Jim is uh, listing flooded texts and calls in about it including Michael in Kilworth says yeah having the same problem that Jim identified with teletext Margaret is in Ballyhooley she says they haven't been able to get uh, teletext since last Saturday and uh, Jim was back to say he doesn't get his on satellite it's on the on the Serview hasn't been available as he said for the last few days he's in Kildare Hi uh, Patricia teletext gone here in Middleton too my husband uses it all the time it's low in the corner uh, but nothing we haven't had anything for the last few days we pick it up on the RTE aerial which would be the, the Serview service Hi I'm in Bantry Teletext not working here uh, somebody else saying I'm in Canturk it's not available has been available for the last uh, three days so we are now endeavouring to find out what has gone wrong and why is the Teletext service for a lot of people who like to use it and I don't know what people are using it for but ju- judging by that flurry of texts and calls there are a number of people who are missing it so we've sent an email off to Serview just to see what exactly is going on. Are they doing some work on it at the moment? Perhaps there's some issue like that because often sometimes when they're upgrading a service it can be knocked off for a few days so maybe it's something like that. So we will revert back to you. I don't know if we'll have something back before the close of the programme tomorrow but as soon as we hear from from them we will bring it to you. And talking about somebody that reverted back to us but we didn't just come back to us today we got on to NCT centres went to the head office for the National Car uh, Test because we had a listener who contacted us the other day to say that she texted, it was on Monday, she was texting us on behalf of her brother who was due to have an NCT test done on Saturday and because the mask mandate is gone brother is very nervous about picking up COVID and in particular is nervous about the car being tested and the person testing the car not wearing a mask and the reason that our listener's brother is so nervous is they're a full-time carer for a family member who's very vulnerable and obviously they're trying to do everything not to bring COVID back into the household and they were wondering could we get onto NCT to see could some allowances be made particularly for somebody who's nervous about going to get their car tested. Now I have to say when, so we sent the email off and we've just had a reply back in. When I mentioned it yesterday on the programme we did get a flurry of calls and texts in from people who said recently they'd been for their NCT and everybody was wearing masks and 
hand sanitizer, you know, gloves were being used. So we were calling that out, trying to allay the fears of the gentleman who was going on Saturday. But we got on to NCT and they've just come back to say that because the masks are no longer mandatory per the government guide guidelines, vehicle inspectors are now no longer required to wear one. And that's where this gentleman is having his problem. However, they do say we still have reception desk screens in place for the vehicle check-in process with the option for the customer to wait outside if they don't want to be sitting inside. Vehicle inspection reports and certs are all left inside in the vehicle after completion of the test. So they're limiting contact between people. Uh, But then they, they, a really nice girl by the name of Leanne, who is the marketing assistant at NCT, has said if we can provide the customer's name and phone number, they'll be happy to discuss the issue and get onto the test centre and make arrangements uh, on their behalf, which I think is a very, very kind thing to do. So we are now endeavouring to get back on to the lady who contacted us. I've sent off a WhatsApp to her because it was by WhatsApp she contacted us. We can't get through to her on the phone for some reason because obviously because of GDPR we can't send on telephone numbers without getting the say-so from the lady who contacted us. So if she wants, if she's listening to the programme, Get back on to us, please, because we want to be able to sort that out for your brother, just so that he can go off and have his NCT and be able to have peace of mind. Because there's you know, there's nothing worse about having to go somewhere and just being so incredibly nervous about it. And there's that real nervous, you can sense the nervousness in that WhatsApp that we got in, uh, to say, on Monday. 0862103103 texts and WhatsApps are available to you. Now, a couple of St. Patrick's Day uh, issues Again, this would have been Monday and again yesterday I had a couple of people either WhatsApped a photograph or contacted us about something that they had seen. Now, I saw it on social media on St. Patrick's Day and it was to do with participants in a St. Patrick's Day parade. It was the St. Patrick's Day parade at Kilfenora and three people decided that it would be a funny thing to do to reenact that awful thing that happened in Carlo. Was it back in January? Remember that pensioner, Padder Doyle, who was taken into a post office in Carlo and the Gardaí believed that the pensioner was already dead when he was taken into the post office by two men who carried him into the post office because they'd gone in to try to claim his pension earlier. And the people in the post office got a bit suspicious and said that the man needed to be there in person. So it looked like that this man was dragged from his dead bed, literally, and brought into the post office. Now, I know since an autopsy has determined there wasn't any foul play, which, which thankfully was something. But somebody, three people decided that it would be funny and I say funny in inverted commas, to do a reenactment of that. And that's exactly what they did. They had one person was dressed sort of head to toe, I was saying, kind of a cardboard box. And it had Carlo Post Office, I think was what was written on it. So they were meant to be the post office. And then coming behind was two people dragging. And they had like a stuffed dummy was what they had. And they were dragging him along behind the post office. And it was just, as one person said, absolutely tone deaf. Wasn't in any way funny. As I say, I got sent photographs of it or little video clips of it. I I just didn't know where the parade had been on. So it seems it was on, the parade was in Kilfenora where these people decided that it would be, this would be a nice thing to enter into the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Now the organisers of the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Kilfenora have have obviously come out and they are fulsome in in their apologies to the family of uh, Padder Doyle and the co 
organiser. Seemingly, it was also on in the Burren, the Burren village of Kilfenora. I think they also went off to some other parade as well. It did, I'm sure I read something about that as well. Anyway, but it was the organisers of the Burren village Kilfenora parade, a lady by the name of Orla Vaughan. She was on their local radio, Clare FM, yesterday, wanting to, you know, really apologise to Padre Doyle's family that they've written to apologise as well. And then she went on to explain that it's a small parade. They're 25 years organising this parade in Kilfenora. And as it's a small village, they are in competition with a lot of the larger towns when it comes to the parades. And they've had a criteria up to now of please turn up with a float. She says in the 25 years, there's never been any vetting of floats and nobody looks at the float before they take off in the parade. And the very same thing happened last Thursday on St. Patrick's Day. And she said she didn't even see it until it had gone down through the village. Then she only realised it. And I'm assuming as soon as she saw it, she would have realised that this is in very, very bad taste. And she says because of that, the parade now, the committee will have to look into vetting for future events after this has uh, this occurred. And she accepts and realises the, the, the hurt that it would have caused to the family of the late Padre Doyle but it was just completely tone deaf and I have to say when it got shared with me privately on a number of different WhatsApps and Facebook groups like there was nobody saw the funny side of it everybody said you know what bad taste that was in so it's good to know that the organisers themselves see it was in bad taste and they have uh, issued very fulsome apologies to Padre Doyle's family and may that gentleman rest in peace. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The Ballandangan players are presenting Ladies of Spirit. It's in Ballandangan Community Centre. It runs from tonight through to next Sunday, 8 o'clock nightly. Tickets are 10 euro or 5 euro for children and they're available from 085 607 9251. Kildallery Community Development will have their weekly lotto draw tomorrow at 4. That's in the community office. They've got a jackpot of 2,700 euro. And weekly cards will be returning to Drumahan Community Hall. That's also on tomorrow night and that's at uh, 9 o'clock uh, start. And a reminder that Carney's Coach Company are organising a collection for Ukraine. It's happening next Saturday morning from half nine to two. A bus will be parked at the Mallow Motor Factors on the Limerick Road and they're appealing for non-perishable food items, tinned meats, fish, etc. They're also looking for things like baby food, baby's bottles, toiletries, Calpol baby wipes, chocolate and colouring book. No money will be accepted. They're just taking goods for Ukraine. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Now, a GoFundMe campaign has been set up to support Support the recovery of a 14-year-old boy from Kalekill in West Cork who last September, while competing at a mountain bike event, had an accident which has resulted in a serious spinal injury. To talk about Oshin O'Connor, I'm joined by family friend Martin Kyohan. Good afternoon to you, Martin. Hi, Patricia. And Thanks for having me on. Listen, it, it really is our pleasure. Just, to, I suppose, go back to last uh, September. Was it just one of these freak accidents that has left it, devastating it, effects? It was. Um, his, his, himself and his dad, Wesley, are big into the downhill mountain biking. And they had travelled to Wicklow the night before and they went down the track. I think they were first down the track. And Oshin was down first and he had a collision with a tree. 
was wearing all his safety equipment and the tree was even padded, but there was obviously a big impact and um, these injuries have resulted. Um, his dad, Wesley, was next down the track to find him, so as you can imagine, it was been a roller coaster since then. Shocking, absolutely yeah. shocking. Okay, so talk us through then what happened, what treatment has Oshin received since then? So Oshin has spent, he, he, he underwent um, a huge operation, obviously, in um, in Crumlin, and he spent five months in Crumlin, Wesley and Marie, his mum and dad, by his side for the whole five months. Um, he's done a lot of hard work while at Crumlin, and he's now moved on to the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dunleary, where he continues his recovery. So we're we're hoping that he will be finished there in early to mid May. And that so, that is an, an amazing hospital, isn't it? The National Rehabilitation Centre. Uh, they're, they're doing a lot of great work up there with him now at the minute. So, like Oshin is he's fourteen. He was t- only thirteen at the time of the accident. He's sporting mad. He haven't played hurling and football with his local club St Columns, rugby with Bantry Bay RFC, basketball with Kalash to Fob as the own tree. That's his secondary school. He's also mad into rallying which is big in the family. You know, he, he's very well-known lad in the community, very well-liked. He's determined and he's shown how tough he is over the past seven months, you know. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, you can just imagine what the parents and the family are going through, but for the kid himself, particularly when you describe there, what a sporty young boy. He, he's very very sporting and uh, thank, thanks be to God, he's as stubborn and tough as his is father it, and, and as determined <laughs> as his man, so... <laughs> You know, it's yeah. great, like, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm friends with his dad since they were kids, and I was there with his mum and dad, and met many moons ago in Domenway. Um, they're a big sporting family, all the, all his brothers. There's there's five brothers in them all together, and they're, they're, they're a great family. And, you know, we're looking to get whatever support we can get for him. This is the type of family that would give you support if you were in need. Yeah. Um, the, the fundraiser at the outset, we were looking to raise 250,000 euros. There's... And we're at 184 the last time I checked there a few minutes ago. So there's, there's massive work to be done, as you can imagine. Um, there's the immediate work to be done to the house. There's a large ground floor extension needed. And then there's substantial work to be carried out to the original house to have it make it fit for purpose for Oshin, you know. And yeah, because we should, we should point out, Oshin is now a wheelchair user. Yes, he's yeah. a wheelchair user. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah. I mean, most houses, when we built, when the houses were built, they weren't built to be wheelchair no. friendly they're, they're, they're not wheelchair friendly any any house you go into bar maybe the newer ones you know that the, the specs are different but we want to give him independence in his own home yeah. you know yeah, yeah. And, and, also, yeah. and the age sorry. he's at he needs that independence yeah and he, you know he, he's, he's, he's a fighter he's going to he's going to he's going to fight this like you know and he's going to progress and get on with his life but um, the funds also would be going towards um, rehabilitation and equipment for the future and to support the family and like that, we're also looking to the future. Oshin is car mad. Like, he's only a couple of, he's 14, a couple of years' time. We're hoping he'll be on the road himself. Yeah, yeah. And we, we also want to, he also wants himself, he's anxious to get back involved in sport. Whatever format that it, that be, you know. So he sounds he, like, he sounds yeah. like a great kid. He really, he really, he he's got the real right attitude, doesn't he? You know, it's yeah, he's, he's, he's determined. He's, you know, he, he has it, he has it going on, so yeah. He's the, um, he's the youngest, isn't he? The, it's a family he's, of boys. He's the youngest of five. The youngest yeah. of five, yeah. okay. Yeah. God, um, that poor family, what, what, they, so, what they're going yeah. through. So he, he has the support of a large circle of friends and his family and the whole community in West Cork behind him. We're now looking to get the support of the whole country behind him and give him everything he needs, deserves and more, you know. Um, 
So yeah, I'm and asking that's... everyone. I'm asking everyone to donate. How little or how much? Do you know what I mean? It, it doesn't matter. Just if you can donate, you know. And that's why have one big fundraiser. Get it all out of the way. Yes. A house can be adapted. Money can be there for anything else that he needs. Yes. And at least that that's taken away from the family. They don't need to well, be worrying or thinking about that. Bo- it's one less burden yeah. this time, you know. Yeah. So, um, people can also follow Oshin's progress uh, on Facebook and on Oshin O'Connor Kegel Fundraising or you can find the, the, the GoFundMe and, uh, and Oshin's Fund. Just Google GoFundMe, Oshin's Fund. And it'll pop or, up. Yes, or if any business wants to get directly in contact with the committee, they can private message on the GoFundMe, you know. So I'm and, assuming uh, some committee has been set up. Is there a fundraising there committee? Has been, yeah. There has been a Graves committee set up down home. I'm not going to mention any names. No, there's, no. Cause there's, there's, done, <laughs> there's too many. There's, there's, there's too many. Has, but, uh, has he been home, Martin, in the 70s? He, has, he, has, has, been, he has been home um, sporadically. He, his first visit home was shortly before Christmas. And then he was home. They're like That's September to Christmas. That's a big, that's a big jump, you know. And um, he has been home again. Now he's home every weekend at the minute. From, Brilliant. From Dunleary, and uh, there's only one parent allowed with him in Dunleary. So, um, Wes, his, his dad was up with him last week. His mum was up with him this week, and they may go on like that, you know, for the next couple of weeks, you know. But there's but, uh, no there's no date on full time coming home yet. Where I think there is. I think it's early May. I think it's early okay, May. Okay, all right. That's not, that's, yeah. that's not that you far know. away. Yeah, and for anyone then who. who who I suppose isn't tech savvy. There are collection boxes in the shops locally for um for Oshin, um down around West Cork, you know, down around Bantry and Kirkle and around West Cork. People will spot them. Yes, and, and like any fundraisers uh, being organised? We we have it. There are fundraisers in the offing, but there's no dates yet. Okay. Well, will you let us know, and we'll certainly we pick them we for can. you. Yeah, like We'd um be. again, Oshin and the family are completely overwhelmed with the support from near and far so far, you know. Um, like, we're not going to thank any individuals, but on behalf of the family and O'Sheen, I'd like to say a huge thanks to everyone involved in the fundraising and all have donated so far, you know. Okay, well, well done, uh, well done. And anyone, again, anyone who's given him words of encouragement um, and the people have called to give him encouragement, so, you know. And please God, when he comes back home, that'll be, that'll aid with the recovery as well and being, you oh, know, back home with his friends and his family and, and yeah. whatever. And it's where everybody, yeah. it's where everybody uh, wants him to be. And then any date set on when you're going to start the work on the house or is that? No, there's no, no date on that yet. Like, the, as, and as everyone knows at this stage, the, the cost of building materials has gone I know. to the roof. So there's a lot of work to be done you know and as I said our aim is from the outset for the committee was 250,000 I don't know will that do everything that needs to be done but it should go a long way you know if we can get there well just keep it going Keep people yeah. are kind people are kind people are generous and people look at a family like this and think God forbid that could have happened to any family it was such a freak it, accident it, it to could happen. be anyone's case you know yeah, listen, yeah. send on our very best wishes to Oshin and to Marie be. and Wesley and the rest of the family. And uh, please, God, they, you'll well surpass the the amount that you need to raise and Oshin will we're, get we're home. Hoping, we'll get back to Kalekil where, where he needs to be. Listen, yeah, Martin, keep in contact with us. And if there's anything else we can do, we'll be only too glad to help you out. 
Patricia, thanks for your time. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's uh, a family friend, uh, Martin Kyohan, on behalf of Oshin O'Connor's family. Just such a, I saw a photograph, lovely, handsome young man. Oshin uh, um, is just such a devastating thing. It was a freak accident to happen, and particularly to happen to somebody who was so sporty. It, it really, really is is difficult. 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And by the way, having just done the community diary there a couple of minutes ago, just to let you know that bingo in Bandon GAA tomorrow night, Thursday, has been cancelled, but they're hoping that it will be back next Thursday. But there's no bingo in Bandon GAA tomorrow night. And also, a sum of money was found last night. It was found on Main Street in Mallow, and the very honest person handed it into Mallow Garda Station. So, if you or you heard of somebody who lost money and they could have been in and around Main Street in Mallow, can you can contact Mallow Garda Station on 022 3145. Now, I mentioned, I don't know what, early on in the week we were talking about the refugees that are arriving from Ukraine and I was talking about, you know, there was great photographs in the paper of uh, people arriving and the, the children in particular, they all seem to be happy and smiling and it's like a big adventure, I think, to many of the children, even though God knows you just don't know the psychological effect of some of the things they've witnessed. Uh, but you can see the the sense of pain in the parents the mums faces and some elderly people have arrived and I mentioned that I had seen at the weekend an 84 year old woman in Dublin who had thrown open her house she explained that her family had flown the nest and she had she had three or four bedroom house I can't remember but she said she was you know in this house on her own more than willing to help out any refugees and this young mother with her three children had arrived and there was a gorgeous picture of them on the paper and they sitting around having what looked like their tea on the table and the table all beautifully laid out by the elderly lady. It's just a lovely happy photograph and everybody seemed to be benefiting from the arrangement. The elderly woman, you know, obviously suddenly had children back in her house again and she had company with the mother and, you know, they just all seemed very happy and obviously the family from Ukraine who were settling in with this woman in Dublin were, you know, were going to bed with peace, not knowing, you know, that a bomb wasn't going to go off and they were, you know, delighted to be offered this hand of kindness from a complete stranger. That then led to, I think it was John contacted us to say that that, that elderly woman, would she lose out on things like her living alone allowance? And he, he said the main reason that he was asking was that his own mother, who is in her late 70s and she's in a house and has two spare bedrooms, is also thinking of taking Ukrainian refugees. But John is just fearful that will that affect her social welfare benefits because suddenly she's not living alone and, you know, if she's entitled to the fuel allowance, there'd be extra people in the house and you know it, would that all be taken into the means testing uh, etc. So the confirmation has come through that pensioners who do decide to give up a room like that 84 year old woman are like John's uh, mother to a fleeing Ukrainian refugee they won't see their social welfare payments affected in any way by having additional people staying in their homes. Welfare pay- payments now, they in particular include the living alone allowance, which you would lose if somebody moved into your house. But it's not going to be the case when it comes to Ukrainian uh, refugees. So the welfare, the living alone allowance won't be affected. A fuel allowance won't be affected uh, either. 
So whatever payments that older person is getting, they will hang on uh, to them. And the, it was the Social Welfare Minister, Heather Humphreys. She announced all the plans. She, had, she had ended up having to sign new regulations into place because she doesn't want any pensioner to be penalised if they do give up an offer of uh, a home. And the living alone allowance, I think it's about €22 Euro a week. And I know the fuel allowance for the 28 weeks that it's payable at is €33. Euro. So, you know, that could be over €50 Euro that an older person uh, could be at risk of losing if they took in took in a refugee. But that is not to be uh, the case. There's already around 10,000 Ukrainians have arrived in Ireland, even though that number is expected to double. And they reckon in the next, by the end of April, it certainly will have a double. Hotel rooms are still the main way that refugees are being accommodated at the moment. But I know that the inspections have started on the vacant houses and actually there's valuers going out. They're starting to go out, I think, from today. Now, you know, when you hear valuers, why are valuers and auctioneers going out to look at the houses? They're just going out to make sure that they're livable and that, you know, the electricity, everything's working. There's the sanitary system is working. The water is working. Particularly, if, you know, some people may be offering a vacant house that might have been closed up and maybe it's not ready for human use and also they're going to go in to see does anything need to be put in you know is there a cooker inside in the house is there a, a washing machine you know the basics kettles things like that that people will need because obviously the Red Cross then will, will step in and help out with any, any additional needs that's needed for the house so that sort of plan is going on at the moment and I know there's also talks of a reception hub is going to open in Ross Lair because now we're starting to see a lot of refugees coming in through the Wexford uh, port and they're expected to continue particularly over the coming days because we know there are hubs already open in Dublin and I'm sure there's one there's one at Cork Airport as well and that's where people are able to you know straight away access all of the services that they need and yesterday it was mentioned that the 1,000 student accommodation beds the universities have come in and they've offered those and they obviously will be given during the summer months when the students are all gone home and I know Heather Humphrey said yesterday that Ukrainian students who uh, will be arriving they'll be able to continue their studies in third level institutions once they arrive because again there will be a lot of there'll be young women more than young men because the young men have stayed behind doing you know they were in the middle of their university degrees and whatever so they're hoping they're going to be able to pick up where they left off and will be able to continue on with their school with their third level education and obviously the children are going to be going into the schools as well but uh, the big uh, issue is going to be particularly in the schools is the rolling out of English language classes for the refugees listening to a lot of the refugees many of them have very very good English but of course not all of them have good English so there will have to be English classes uh, rolled out. Now, no, Anne has been on to us on the topic of refugees. But sorry, just to mention for any older person, if you are, if you have put your name down or you're thinking of putting your name down with the Red Cross, just to let you know that the Minister has clarified it. She's put the regulations in place that was needed so your payments won't in any way be affected. Anne said, um, Patricia, I know how the Ukrainian people are suffering, but where is it going to stop? Ireland can't take 80,000 plus refugees. We simply will not have the accommodation are the service supports for them. At the moment, lots of GP practices are full regarding new patients. Uh, what is all of this going to cost? 
who is going to end up paying for it. Are we heading for another recession? The next budget will be full of cuts as the government spend all of this money on refugees. What will happen then is our own will suffer. Afghanistan is in a bad situation too and there's no talk about that situation, uh, says Anne. Okay, it obviously is going to cost the government a lot of money. I know I heard Pascal Donoghue when he was asked where's the money coming from. He was pointing out that there was a contingency fund put away for COVID-19 that they haven't spent money that they thought you know, when they didn't know how bad the different waves of COVID-19. Obviously now everyone's back to work and the pop payments, and those pandemic payments have all ended, but they had put money away in case they, they had needed to continue. So there is money there from that particular fund. But is it going to cost the country money? Yes, of course it is. But you, you are right to have concerns. I would have concerns around GP practices because GPs are already struggling. I think the GPs themselves are going to be put under a lot of pressure because, you know, when refugees arrive into their area, they are going to need to access GPs. There's going to be other areas as well where schools are going to be affected. But then on the plus side, you'll you'll find some of the refugees will go to areas where it'll boost the numbers in the schools and it might actually mean additional teachers so the other children in the school could benefit as well. The only thing I would say to people who are concerned about the number of refugees that are arriving here. Remember, these are wartime refugees. These are very different from, say, when the Syrian refugees, God help them, when they came to this country, we knew that they were never going back. They were going to have to stay here because of the situation in their country. You ask any one of the Ukrainians that arrive, you know, 99 out of 100 will say they want to go back. If they could go back tomorrow, they would go back. Remember, these are uh, women and children who are leaving behind Husbands, sons, brothers, grandparents, fathers, you know, they're leaving behind family members. They want to go back and they will want to go back. So it's it's going to be for a short rather than we don't know how long the period of time is going to be. But certainly for the Ukrainian refugees themselves, they want it to be for a shorter rather than longer period of time. And that's why we need peace, peace in that country so that they can start. Because then once peace is declared, obviously there's going to be a lot of rebuilding to go on when you look at the devastation that has happened in some of the cities. Mariupol, you wonder, will anybody ever get back to normal in that city? It, it really is the epicentre of the war at the moment. It, it is truly, truly uh, shocking. But they certainly are a group of people. I don't think anyone, regardless of what it ends up costing, and yes, there will be a cost to the state, I don't think we can't as human beings. We can't turn our back on these people. 0818 103 103. Bernie, taking your calls, you can text or WhatsApp to 0862. 103, 103. Hi Patricia, I'm from West Cork and I was just thinking with all of the Ukrainian refugees arriving into our country, if God forbid we had a crisis in our country, uh, who would help us? Where would we flee uh, to? Well, it would depend, yeah. Yeah, but you look at the Polish people. My goodness, how Poland has stepped up to help their neighbours. Would it be our neighbours would be helping us out? Which, uh, well, let's hope we never get into a crisis situation that we would need to be uh, fleeing. Thank you for your text. And Joan in Mallow says there's a lot of parochial houses that are empty at the moment they will be ideal to house refugees and I think Joan they are being looked at the church has certainly stepped in with any offer of any accommodation that they have had and someone says well done to the community in Bottevant how welcoming they've been to the refugees that have arrived to the convent uh, there it is the best of compassion and humanity says one of our listeners thank you for that okay that's where I leave you for today my thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing 
and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Get out and enjoy the sunshine if you can. Until tomorrow, 10. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.